All right. So where where are we at, man? What what's going on today? Give it to me. I mean, to paint y'all the picture, none of us are working right now because it is blowing about twenty miles per hour, and um, yeah, good gust of twenty five. We're sitting here at the river. We're in the wheelhouse of the Majesty, which is the sixty five foot headboat we were telling y'all about that we all met on and started working together that Oz now runs. And we're up here in the wheelhouse where we spent more time than we spent with most people up here and um where we're bringing you all this podcast we're sitting here watching these mullet guys go back and forth we're we're sitting here looking at the commercial boats that we're telling you some of these stories from and and yeah we're right here at safe harbor mayport florida baby come on there you go there's a good question roland yeah tell me about yourself where are you from What's the? Yeah, I'm a charter customer. You're a charter customer asking me. Yeah, yeah. no, people ask. Yeah, um, you grew up in Jacksonville. Eh, kind of. You know, I grew about 45 minutes out of Jacksonville, kind of wherever it got fresh. You know, we'd catch a lot of like bass mixed in with our redfish, but but yeah, Middleburg. And uh, I also <clears throat> I tell them normally like you know I've been charter fishing for about five six years, worked on a big headboat called the Majesty. You may have passed it. We're going to pass it. Hey, look. Look over to the right. There, there it is. That <laughs> big yellow one on that the That big yellow one. Yeah. But no, um, yeah, and then, you know, I just finished up my first year. First year of what? Of running my own operation. Gotcha. Running my own charter. Gotcha. So I tell them that now. You don't tell them anything about that in the beginning. First couple months, you've been doing this shit for years. For years. I'm yeah. You. My first trip, I didn't tell them it was my first trip. It was a shit show, but... uh but it turned into a nice catch, so old dragon I didn't anchor. Tell. Dragon anchor charters. Yep, we got the spot lock now, baby. We ain't dragging nothing. We ain't dragging. Um, <laughs> well, how did your first year go? Yeah. Good. How many did you run? Um, I'd have to look at it. Or I mean, first technically for like when my first actual trip, I didn't really advertise for the first couple Enough months just excuses. I didn't have my shit together yeah cause I was dragging anchor I had You're an old trolling anchor. motor it was a BYOLJ bring your own life jacket for a minute for a minute <laughs> we got that sucked up starting charter business broke as shit is what I did but <laughs> uh, got it off the ground and um yeah I had like 23 trips going into July and then from then on I hit 95 in my first year so good man nice. it was uh awesome. it was real slow and then then you know it got going and uh it's been going good since so trying to go and uh the next year i got a new boat now get a couple things straightened off with it but um going into this next year just gonna try to get as many as i can I'm not gonna turn anything down and fish as hard as i can so we'll see how year two goes boom i will say i'm pretty proud of you thank you buddy I'm proud of you. You run a big boat. Yeah, The man. boat we're sitting on. We're all doing it now. The Majesty, the boat we all met on. Um, yeah, we're on here. Oz is the captain. Why don't you tell us about... Uh, How it all started? Yeah. All right. I grew up in, in Mandarin with my mom and my sisters, and I didn't really do nothing with fishing. I mean, I was just kind of hanging out, just being a kid. Didn't really do much of fishing. None of my friends fished. No one in the family fished, and... I mean, long story short, I got in trouble in middle school. I, uh, <laughs> it's a pretty funny story. 
I bet one of my buddies, you remember Morty? Uh, <laughs> when we were like, what, 10, 11 years old, and, you know, everyone had scooping. Scooping was going around in middle school. And he, I bet him five bucks that he wouldn't scoop this girl, and sure <laughs> enough, he did. And uh, someone snitched, and we got in trouble, and... You know, I never really caused any trouble growing up. My mom was like, well, this is a good time for you to spend a year with your dad in the Philippines because he was going back home to take care of his parents. And uh, so I ended up going to the Philippines with my dad, and it was only supposed to be for a year. And uh, just some stuff happened back at home. I wasn't really able to come back. So I ended up spending all of high school in the Philippines. Still never went, you know, never was an outdoorsman. And uh, eventually I graduated and um, my mom was like, all right, it's time for you to come back home and come to find out she's dating Captain Scott Reynolds, the OG of uh, St. Augustine and Mayport. And uh, I really didn't know what I was getting into. I mean, I just thought work on a fishing boat is going to be cool. Um, in my head, I was going to be balling, you know, right. I'm going to afford to get my, my own phone and do all this and all that and it was pretty cool for the first few years didn't really have much going on other than just coming out here and having a good time and just being out here i had no expectations what was it like going from never fishing to like being thrown yeah. to the fire like if people don't know the majesty is a 65 foot head boat here out of uh jacksonville florida and it takes 47 people on it yeah. so it's not you're just you know every day like let's you know a little charter you got four or six people on it yeah, it's an operation. Let's go bullshit around. No, yeah, this thing is uh, <clears throat> it's an operation. And if you don't know fishing, just working the deck could be difficult. Especially when you got Scott and the old old guys out there on your ass. Oh, on your ass. Yeah, I mean, I, I came in at an awesome time. We had, well, Scott was here. George was here. Bo, John, Joe, Von Thrawn, um, Bo's little brother. I mean, I was just coming to that time where... Everyone was pretty damn cool. Everyone was experienced. Everyone... You had a seasoned crew. So yeah. yeah. And that's really... Yeah, so they probably taught you a lot, I'm sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I came into it with just... I mean, like I said, no expectations. And uh, it took a while. I mean, they knew that I... W they knew the deal. They knew that I was top Scott's stepkid. Yeah. yeah. So they just kind of took yeah, me this in This is Daddy's boat, right? Yeah. No, Daddy's <laughs> they give you shit? Uh, probably not for the first couple years. I mean... You're lucky. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, like, arrogant or, you know, I wasn't acting like boss's kid, you know. I was just, that hey, took, I'm that, here, man. That took I'm, a couple years, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that privilege took a little bit yeah, to set yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. then yeah. I realized, like, oh, shit, I can get away with a lot of shit. Oh, yeah. But, hey, man, I'm going to go to the gas station real quick. I'll be right back. It, it's cool, man. I mean, it's definitely uh, a different experience, I'd say, than what others had to grow up in. And uh, learned a lot pretty quick, and I didn't, I, I don't know, I didn't think I was going to learn it that good. And uh, now I'm, after 10 years, I'm running the boat. Well, I guess this is my third year running, so about seven or eight years it took me to yeah. to run the boat. I mean, it was learning everything, though. I mean, motors, boat work, I mean, repairing everything, fixing everything. I mean, for the longest time, I was to go get this, go get that kind of guy, and eventually I got tired of that. Yeah. yeah. That's I mean, awesome. I wanted to turn wrenches. I wanted to be in there. Hey, I mean, everybody starts as, you know, a little light bitch holding the light. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Next thing you know, you're turning wrenches. <laughs> Diesel mechanic. Yeah, and then along the along the way, you know, met these two fools, and along with... Along the way? Shoot. Well, it was about, what, 
my third or fourth year in into it yeah. that I met y'all. Yeah, that's true. Well. And then uh, y'all two and the rest of the boys. And now... Uh, what year was that? What years were the boys? 17? 17, 18? 17, 18. 17, 18. And, and, to, 19. and then 19 was uh, the, the year. Yeah. And then 2020... It was it kind of disbanded a little bit. Everyone kind of went their own way. Y'all right. stuck around for that last year, and then yep. I think twenty twenty, Joe started his business, and then I want to say twenty twenty one or twenty two, Roland left, started his right. his business. Yeah, I mean late twenty late twenty two. Yeah, though. I mean it was damn near. I think it was late twenty two. I still ran trips. I did the Florida. Yeah, so it was right there at the late twenty two. And unfortunately, that's just kind of the. The deal with the party boat, I mean, unless you got other things going on in your life that makes it work to where you can stay for a long time, then it's, otherwise it's just a summer job. Yeah. I've always said party boat's the funnest job I've ever had, working 100%. on the party boat. Yeah. I mean, you're, you meet so many cool people. This job opened me up to, like, I didn't think people were as, as cool. Like, coming out of high school, you know what I mean? You think, like, you're a little hot shot. Yeah. <laughs> I went to college a couple years. You're like, man, everybody's lame. Like, working on this boat made me, like, learn. There's a lot of, like, older dudes, older ladies, like, just people that are just, like, there's a lot of cool people in the world. It gave yeah, me, like, hope 40, for, 40 like, some people every day. I mean, yeah, you meet a lot most of, cool of them people. are cool. Most of them are cool. 90% of them. Yeah. I've always said, you give me 100K a year, I would I would have never left. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I'd still be right I don't here. think Scott can afford us all that doing that. I don't think anyone could afford that. Right. But... but but it yeah. definitely forms a bond between the people that work on it. I mean, yeah, I mean, all of us really that are best friends. I mean, it's how many years later, and here we are. First installment it. here. Yeah, you spend ten hours a day with somebody all summer, pretty much running six days a week. You're either gonna really like them or fucking hate them, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> and what I did like is we didn't really hire anyone. We didn't keep anyone on that we didn't really like. Right. You, I have mean, you definitely have to fit the, the vibe. Yeah, survival of the fittest. We'll wean your ass out. And I mean, during the summer, we see each other way more than we see anybody else. Yeah. I mean, this is, I think before you, when you left, Joe, and it was just me and Roland, I mean, me and Roland were seeing each other every yeah. day. Every day. Yeah, it was, uh, me and Oz were locked at the hip. So, and speaking of first installments, kind of, let's segue into the next thing here. Like, what are, what are we doing? Oh, yeah. What, so, with, the, with the podcast? Yeah, yeah, so like. An intro to the podcast or just no, a brief description? Yeah. Just what are we yeah. So our kind of our goal within an installment and kind of what we're you know doing here, this is more or less the introduction to hopefully something that's just really fun and brings to light a whole side of fishing that really doesn't get a lot of attention the uh, in the digital world. And what I mean by that is uh, really the focus on this podcast is going to be commercial. Uh, mixed with charter, kind of the gritty side of fishing. That shrimping. Shrimping. I mean, just the not so pretty side of fishing. Out right. In a in um, a way, a lot of the people you're not going to hear about, you know, or have heard about before. Um, that's going to provide its own challenges on our end as far as trying to talk to these guys and all that. But with the stories that you guys are going to experience and kind of the people that you meet, the characters, uh, it's going to be unlike anything else um, that you that you've seen. Um, or listen to read anything like yeah. that um, these this is the true this is the true blue collar world um, of, fishing. That is, of fishing that is just you know you might see that dirty guy sitting across the bar drinking a couple beers like you have no idea the life that these guys yeah. have lived and really only through 
kind of that shared and mutual experience that we were discussing through the party boat that really was how we started to hear these stories, meet these characters. And uh, we're going to start out in a small world, but we're really hoping to branch out and, uh, you know, visit other places and see and talk to people that, uh, that probably don't get a lot of attention through, you know, and that social be, media. Because these are the guys that they don't care about posting on social media. Yes. Like what people don't right. understand is like these are the guys that feed us. Like as a country, like where our seafood comes from, right. and these guys have stories that I mean, Unreal. these guys are salty. So it's like you know, we listen to a lot of podcasts. Us three all listen to all the fishing podcasts and right. stuff like that. And we just kind of like saw that there's a niche that people aren't talking to the guys that really have the stories. We're talking about the guys that are out there a week at a time, you know, thirty days at a time offshore, living off the ocean. You know what I mean? And um, so I think it's just going to be a cool experience for y'all to come along and hear about these guys and hear some of the stories that have like really never been told unless you're drinking a beer with them right. at the marina or you know at the marina bar or something like that. And that's 100%. even if they like you. That's exactly. Right. Most of these guys don't talk, so it's kind of cool us being able to you know we know them and have kind of like grown up over here fishing with them, so they're gonna you know give us some insight and it's uh, going to be cool for y'all to kind of hear some of these stories. It's a little bit of a preface to. The Majesty sits at Monty's Marina in Mayport, and this has always been a shrimping village. Yep. So we got 10 to 20, maybe even 30 shrimp boats at a time you know, sitting on the outside of these docks, and then we have six or eight commercial guys sitting inside the actual marina. And, uh, I mean, over time, we've just, through Scott and everybody else, we've been introduced to the whole community here. I mean, it's from... Gerald Pack, the owner of Safe Harbor, the the guy that distributes all the fish, and you know PJ and Gray, the guys that actually make shit happen. Yeah. Get the shrimp off the shrimp boat and into the warehouse. Yeah, and we also want to give you all kind of like everyone's always curious of like these numbers of like you know what are these guys making when they're fishing shrimping stuff like that. Um, and you know we're gonna have one of our buddies on Joe Von Thron. He's gonna talk about the tuna, like what they're getting. Per price, because you see Wicked Tuna and you see these crazy prices at like $15, $20 a pound for fish. And a lot of that's just hyped up for TV and ratings. Right. I mean, these guys are getting like, you know, $6 a pound is a good fish. And uh, I've heard, you know, going a lot lower than that. But that would be a future episode. But y'all are just going to learn a lot of things that, you know, um, not a lot of people get to hear. And, yeah, I think it's going to be cool. It's Yeah, just the other side of fishing. It's the only way to look at it. And uh, Joe's hooked up with a lot of charter guys, too. I mean, a lot of guys here in Jacksonville that, you know, no social media. I mean, been doing this forever. So, I mean, we're going to get a lot of different perspectives starting out of Jacksonville, yeah. Florida. And it's like what I've learned. It's the guys that don't have to post anything on social media, that don't have the ego. A lot of those guys, they're the biggest fish crushers there are. They're the killers. You know what I mean? It's They're living. So, right. it's not something they really care to even post if, if they know how to, you know, half of them. All they know is, you know, a lot of cocaine and strippers. <laughs> yeah, so we're pretty much three different captains that all have three different outlooks, three different backgrounds, and we all kind of three do all three do different things. Um, with you know our similarities, and you know we're just good buds. So yeah, we all got kind of different backgrounds and way we started, but we all this boat brought us together. And yeah, what about you, Joe? How did you kind of get started? How far back do we want to go here? Yeah, right. Um, Joe's been offshore saltwater fishing probably the longest. Which, yeah. yeah. 
for sure. Probably, I mean. Started on the pier, now we're here. Yeah, started on the <laughs> pier, now we're here, baby. That's right. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's been an interesting road. I started out, lived a lot of different places, and um, really always had the fire for fishing. I, you know, I had a great influence in my life, and my, uh, my uncle, he runs uh, his own charter business in Maine in the summers, and has worked the deck on a boat in Key West. I shoot, I, I think it's somewhere around 30 years. Um, you know, charter boats down there, uh, all sorts of different different boats, but really been on one for the longest. Um, so kind of got to see a, a pretty cool lifestyle. You know, I got to visit my aunt and uncle as a kid um, and really saw kind of the lifestyle um, that, you know, we could get into a whole conversation whether or not this lifestyle is even achievable these days. Um, but we won't get into all that. Um, but this awesome lifestyle of moving back and forth, you know, you know, the summer and winter migrations from Maine to Key West and, you know, kind of the whole atmosphere that was, uh, that was brought up and that was really cool. And that really got me fired up to kind of, for that to be something that I wanted to do. Um, you know, started, uh, as a, as a young kid, just going out with my uncle and aunt and catching, you know, mackerels and stripers and that whole deal. Um, I was, shoot, probably five years old the first time I did that. Um, but that was only, uh, I lived in Arizona full time, not up north. And, you know, really came back from those trips and was like, man, I gotta, I gotta get in. I gotta, I gotta fish however I can. And well, living in suburban Arizona you know they called it uh, urban fishing program that the stake puts on really did a lot of stuff with the uh the bass fishing the cat fishing in the winter time we had stock like trout. A, um, I was gonna ask yeah. stock stock, yeah. stock so it's all stock stuff. stuff you know it's, what type of trout uh they were rainbows yeah yeah oh that's cool um yeah it, it, it was pretty cool it really set me up I, a lot of people think that you know, when I tell them, oh, I lived in Maine for a few years, they're like, oh, that's where you learn saltwater fishing. It's like, really, that freshwater stuff, fishing really pressured areas, um, golf course ponds, public city ponds, stuff like that really set it up for, you know, the, the rigging complexity. The, the urban fishing is really what kind of kicked this off. I was, you know, this was before kids had cell phones and all that stuff. I was bugging my mom, can I use your cell phone to go to the park? You know, all that stuff. Um, walking miles and miles and miles and miles because I didn't have a bike. I didn't, have, you know, just it was what it was. I just I'd leave the house with a fishing rod and start walking around Arizona. It was if there's a well, there's a way. There's, that's right, and uh, I can only imagine uh, what people thought as I, you know, crossing through these areas where there was no water for a half mile to a mile, walking down with a fishing rod. I mean, shoot, I've even had experiences where uh, they made this new pond. I was crushing it, you know. They stocked a bunch of big bass that were not accustomed to seeing lures. They were straight from the hatchery. So they were chewing. They were just chewing. They were yeah. dumb. Um, but all of a sudden, I hear this rustling in the bushes behind me, and I turn around, like thinking, "No, there must be a, you know, cat or something back there, right?" No, dude, full two full-grown coyotes sitting in the, behind this pond, and I'm like, I'm like twelve. I'm like, dude, they want to get tore up. I'm about to get tore up. If they want to take me down, they got me. But uh. No, then uh, kind of did the rebellious teenager thing and was like, yeah, I, I don't like Arizona. I'm going to go live with dad in Maine. So I did that. Um, and your dad is a, not a mechanic, but so he a, started out as a sales an, rep. Uh, he's all sorts of stuff. <laughs> he's the operations manager of a big boat yard um, 
up on the, in the northeast. Um, so now he's big operations manager, but he started as a uh, as an outboard mechanic at 13, 14 years old. He always tells the story that, uh, you know, again, if there's a will, there's a way. He finally nailed this job with this outboard company. It's called White Rock Outboard. Um, it's in Gorham, Maine. And he nailed this job opportunity. And all of a sudden he had appendicitis, had to get his appendix removed, whole nine yards, like surgery that puts people down. Mm. This guy was like, within a week, pedaling his bike, to ready to get back at it. Ready. He didn't even start. Like he was like, "That's my start day. I gotta, I gotta be there." Oh, he hadn't even started he yet. He hadn't even started. So he was pedaling his bike at 13, 14 years old, a couple miles after appendic- appendicitis surgery to get to this job. Um, you know, it was just a started out on a bunch of small stuff. Um, you know, nine nines. You know, twenty fives. Just kind of turning wrenches and learning the the deal from there and. Uh, he did the old Air Force thing and then came back and uh, started working for this company. I think they had like six or eight employees. Um, jumped up and stuck with the company for a long time. Now they've, I think the statistic is they have like the third largest door outside of NASA uh, or SpaceX, whatever they, they're called these days. This is in a boat yard? This is in a boat yard, yeah. And this is all for like the commercial ferries and big trawling boats and yachts and all sorts of stuff that they... Uh, they do so he went from working on little nine nine horsepower engines to uh you know overseeing the haul out and huge overhauls of these large boats um and if you've never been in a boat yard it's a whole operation i mean they got everything going everything on. welding fiberglass painting i mean uh, motor repair yeah grinding i mean grinding these boys are grinding out there grinding. <laughs> yeah and so, that stuff like yeah Pete, they don't get enough respect that fiberglass don't come off easy no, no. that so, is a pain that's an itchy itchy job you know take and, a bath after you've uh grinded fiberglass all day if you want to torture yourself i did it once i don't right, know why right. <laughs> yeah it was one and done one and done i had to quit with the bass for a little while and i've definitely had my fair share of days of just working with fiberglass and shorts not so, a great idea yeah no way um so basically, you could say I've got the best tech support on speed dial. Yeah. You know, yeah, if I go. ever have a boat guy that issue, knows everything about boats. Like, if you don't know it, he knows somebody that knows it, and he'll get back to me in 20 minutes. Like, it's 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 insane. Um, so that's a huge part of being successful in the charter world is having your support system because there's a lot of times where I'm like, on a scale of one to ten, am I bringing this to the the dealer for warranty or am I just running? You know figuring this out later yeah because like what i've learned like in my first year of doing it is like being a charter like being a one-man charter operation it could be a lonely ass place to be like you don't have many people and having friends or you know like a dad like that yeah that you could call right like yeah is is sick i've even been on rolling like hey dude you need help with your boat call me yeah because that's the one thing like i could catch fish but i fucking suck at fixing things and what i've learned (laughs) in the first year is like you gotta learn a little bit and it's like you know like my days working here on the Majesty, uh, fancy myself a couple years, you know, you know, grinding a couple wrenches down there, learning a couple things, but nothing on that motor, you know, equates to an outboard. But, um, but yeah, so like being a one-man charter operation could be a lonely place. Like you don't have, you don't have employees, you don't have somebody you could call that's above you. You know what I mean? It's you. You got to figure things out, and hopefully have friends. If not, that'll help you out, right? Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think a lot of charter guys, especially the newer ones, don't. I mean, once they don't, they don't realize how much extra work goes into it. You know, I'm sure most of them are just going out there catching fish, and then something goes wrong, bring it to the dealer. Yeah. And that is not going to be a successful way to run it because you're going to be spending all your money, hard way to make paying other people to fix things that, you know, could be a thirty minute fix. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh. And it's that fine line of like things you want to fuck with. And then things you know you shouldn't fuck with. You For know sure, what I mean? Right. Trying to figure that out. Yeah. Lot. And if you are going to fuck with it, you better have someone there that knows how to fix it. Exactly. Like, I could hold a flashlight really good, dude. I promise <laughs> you that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that was kind of the, you know, I'd always been around fishing, but or, uh, or boats in general, and then fishing occasionally. Um, and opposite of most folks, I kind of got my my dad into fishing. Really, I had those experiences with my uncle and was like, Dad, let's go fishing. That thing, that stuff was awesome, you know? Let's go. Um, our first boat was, it, I think my dad had $50 in it. It was this old 1970s, um, just, it, it was even like the light powder blue that you see on the classic cars and whole nine yards. That's um, pretty sick. It was. It was a boat that had sunk at the marina guy didn't have insurance on it and he just walked away from it he's like nope, whatever not my problem you know so my dad knowing what he knew he was just like him and his buddy put 50 bucks each or 50 bucks total I, I don't I don't remember this was probably 2000, 2000, uh, 2003 2004 um, and man he we did we in all sorts of places in that boat I mean we didn't know what we were doing we didn't have half an idea but man we had so much fun um catching smallmouth, largemouth. I mean, most of our trolling, or most of our fishing was just done trolling. Uh, you know, crankbaits crank baits and whatever bit bit. You know, we catch mostly bass. We catch a trout every now and then. It's like, oh, that's cool. Like, throw it back and whatever. We'd fish on a Saturday morning and that's it. Um, now, now my dad's got the fancy glitter boat that goes 80 miles an hour. Got the 20 inch electronics on it. Like he's, he's loaded up. Big bass guy. Big bass guy. Um, so that was always, you know, a huge influence is one having a, a dad um, that really fed into these kind of hobbies and knew a lot about it. Um, my uncle, who I'd seen kind of that lifestyle from, uh, and then just making the step myself. Uh, always worked at tackle shops. It was always something that I wanted to do. Hey, somebody asked me, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, I want to be a charter captain. Um, probably not a very popular answer. I went to a lot of private school and they were like, dude, what? You know, yeah. like you live in Arizona, you go to private school, what are you doing? You know? Um, so really just, you know, just kind of keeping at it, using your network. I mean, that's all of fishing is network. And my uncle had always been very preachy about that. You know, if, if you don't have a good network or a good reputation, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. Definitely got to have a good For reputation. Sure. And, and, reputation in more ways than just a hard worker yeah, yeah. and today with social media you could, your bridge could be burned in a day like right. you know what i mean people get canceled in two seconds <laughs> so you just gotta be an all-around good guy for yeah. sure no you do and it's the way you treat like yeah it's the way you treat people on charters the way you treat is, people yeah. and the uh and you got to be willing to take a loss every now and then yeah exactly. you know there's not many i mean there's plenty of small businesses that like the owners don't make money on like as far as that goes but like there's just a you whole lot of small be, businesses that don't make it in general. Well, yeah, but you gotta you gotta be willing to know, hey, well, shit, I'm not gonna make money today. Yeah, and you can shear sheep many times, or you can skin it once. Yep. So take and it's pay. all about the customer, right? 
But like, what's your operation look like now? So I've been in business. This will uh, this will be my fourth full year. Um, come next August. Um, well, not fourth full year, but about three and a half or so. Uh, ran kind of part time here and there. Um, in nineteen, jumped off to really really jump the uh, jump the gap there in twenty. Um, summer of twenty. Summer of twenty. I think it was end of July or August ish. Right after that epic commercial trip. Yeah, man. Not right after. I got my I got my fill. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Hurricane Bell, you could see that on YouTube. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you can. That was that one. That was awesome. That's I wish I do wish that we got to do a lot more commercial trips together. Yeah. I mean, if you got or more we could go on a tangent right now because they got a sweet little sporty boat or a little oh, express yeah. that they got that we have not yet got to fish on, but she's about the boat has permits on it, and we should be able to show y'all a lot of cool little uh, videos of that. But right. But yeah, back to your operation. But yeah, operation um, been running running pretty good. I run two boats. I've got a 16 foot Hughes, do little you know skinny water red fishing and stuff like that. And then I've got uh, a 24 DV pair custom that allows me to kind of get wherever I need to go. Um, she's a single outboard, 150 gallons of fuel, good solid heavy boat. On the right days, make the long runs and. Uh, and the rest of the time, there's no problem to be flounder fishing in the river, catching mangrove snappers around some rocks, catching trout on floats, sheephead at the jetties, you know, you name it, pretty much that boat can do it. Um, Joe's in a lot of stuff in this boat. He's in a lot of fishing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's really not a whole lot that you can catch locally that hasn't graced the fish box. And really, the, the, the deep drop stuff's about the, the only stuff that really hasn't. Go get some snowies. The snowies, the rosies, the yeah. sword, that, that, all that stuff will come, but that's got to be in due time and on the right day. you got to have something to look forward to, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. you got to have something. Yeah, caught plenty of wahoos. It's, it's, you know, it's always fun. You know, based out of here in Mayport, there's a, a big wintertime wahoo fishery. It's always fun to be, you know, 50, 60, 70 plus miles from the inlet in my little, my little single engine boat, and here comes the 39-foot center console with four four engines you make a pass and you hook the fish and they drive right over like what the heck you know so that's always fun um you know little david david and goliath feeling almost uh, you know i'm planning to hit every wave and these guys have their feet kicked up looking you know <laughs> you know just watching uh watching the radar and the autopilot but it's um, really amazing how your your boat can go out there and eat it i mean it your boat is solid oh your boat solid. yeah your boats yeah it's it's a rig and that's for sure but yeah, other than like the fun fishing and stuff that I've done, I mean the the charter business is good. I do about 125 to 140, 140 trips a year. Um, really, still in the building process. Uh, from what I've learned, I really need to be around the 160, 180 mark to really, uh, really make it where I want to be, uh, as far as expenses to money ratio and all that good stuff. Um, do a lot of king fishing in the summertime. That's kind of the go-to. Uh, haven't really touched the tarpon game, but that. Really hasn't been my clientele the last few years. No, that's all Roland Bell. That's old Bell and Anchor right there. I love, the I love him. 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 So it's uh, it's been fun. I mean, it's yeah, just just getting out there and just doing it. There's Jacksonville's a, a Jacksonville's a cool place. Like you know, there's get not there a whole lot of people coming here to fish. Like which is honestly like kind of cool because you get people that they don't know no better, and you can just go show them. You know what I mean? And, like, showing people a tarpon jumping or, like, a big kingfish, you know what I mean? Smoking the 
smoking the bait and you know you gaffing it and people not being able to experience like even a red snapper like we have a snapper fishery here that's unreal i mean joe could tell you about it it is <laughs> i can tell you a lot about it ridiculous and uh oz could tell you <laughs> this majesty has caught more red snapper than probably any boat in mayport <laughs> probably probably any- anywhere i was about to say this uh we are I mean, red snapper at on, catching boats. At least boat. on our, uh, our coast. The West Coast has some boats that catch a lot of red snapper. I'll give them that. But God, Yeah, I, but I don't know, man. Like yeah. the, the fact that you got to release them mm-hmm. keeps that fishery healthy. At least there, they keep them for a few months. It's got to knock them back a little bit. I, I was looking oh, at world God, records man. the other day and like fly records for uh, red snapper. We yeah. could destroy out here. Yeah. Yeah. If we just actually tried, Here's... we could get a couple uh, records. I don't know. It'd be pretty Which hard. we're going to be talking to somebody here in a little bit um, that has got some records. His name's Wyatt Dial, and he's going to be our uh, first episode. And he's shot the second biggest wahoo ever. Biggest in the country and the second biggest ever. I think it was 119 pounds, but he'll tell that whole story, and that's going to be a cool story. Yeah, it's a big fish. But I don't know if I... Uh, yeah. We definitely haven't Talked set any records how, yet. Huh? <laughs> Except we definitely haven't set any records yet. We have not, not that we know of. Hey, I haven't told my uh, little story. I'll tell you about a record I set growing up. Oh, yeah. Here we go. I started just bass fishing um, up St. John's River, Black Creek. If you know it, you know it. If you don't, you wish you did, baby, because <laughs> that water runs dark and the fish run deep. No, Black Creek could be really tough. But I grew up bass fishing, and like Joe knows... Like, when you bass fish, I always say a bass fisherman, a good bass fisherman could figure out a lot of things when it comes to, like, inshore fishing up here. Because if you have the patience to be able to catch a bass in the St. John's River, I mean, you have the patience to be able to figure out a redfish or something like that. Um, Bass fishing could be, like, hard, and everyone knows, like, kind of technical. And there's a difference between bass fishing a river and bass fishing ponds and lakes. And I grew up fishing the river, and it was difficult, and it was cool. It was really good fishing, but um, pretty much did the whole bass thing growing up. My dad and my grandpa were real big into the tournament scene. My grandpa fished some of the early BASS tournaments against some of the big ones, like, you know, the Hank Parkers, the Roland Martins, all those guys. And uh, so that was pretty cool. I had them to kind of look up to and really just wanted to be like a bass guy growing up. Watched all the, you know, Saturday morning, freaking BASS. There was nothing better. And I uh, grew up just wanting to bass fish until we started to do a couple family vacations to the Keys. And I remember being about 12 years old, um, and we got a guide out of Island Murata. We would bring a boat, and we would do a lot of mahi fishing and stuff like that. But we got a guide out of Island Murata to do um, uh, some tarpon fishing. And uh, the captain's name was Whiskey. I couldn't tell you his actual name. I couldn't. It could have been. Could have been, been Whiskey. His name was Whiskey, is what is what he told us to call him. And uh, he had a sweet boat. And I just remember thinking this guy, dude. He had the long platinum hair. He had, like you could tell he'd been doing it for a while. I just thought the guy was the coolest guy ever. We went out there and we went we went one for six on tarpon. I had four hookups myself, but like for whatever reason, if you know tarpon fishing, they don't all hook up. But my dad ended up catching one of his biggest fish of the year. He he put it in the he put it in like the 160, 180 range. I mean, it was an absolute unit of a tarpon. It gave him a like two and a half hour fight. Pulled us up on a flat. We got out with it. There's pictures. I mean, it's beautiful. But like after that, I went home and I grew up on a lake and I was real fortunate. We grew up on a spring-fed little lake and I mean, I caught 
I'd say in that pond, probably 15 fish over eight pounds. Like, I mean, it was, it was happening. Yeah. And it was cool because I had a GNU. And after that, I was done. I thought I was a fishing guide at 12 years old. I had the pool <laughs> pole in my GNU and I was pulling around and like trying to That's like awesome. sight cast these bass and all this stuff. But I knew at that point I kind of wanted to do something fishing. Went through high school and stuff. And me and my buddy were like fortunate. Um, he had a bass tracker at like 15. He had a bass tracker at like 15, so me and him were 14, 15 years old, started fishing Whitey's tournaments against guys that were like, you know, double, triple our age, and just going out there and, you know, catching a bag was enough for us to feel like we were freaking Kevin Van Dam, Mike, like Ike and Ellie out there, you know what I mean? Right. And, uh, but yeah, so did the whole bass thing, went to college for a couple of years, and then just kind of realized that going into some corporate world, selling pharmaceuticals or something like that wasn't going to be for me, that I really wanted to fish, and uh, I hit up... Uh, Captain Bo Hall, who was one of the captains of the Majesty and the Mayport Princess, um, one of Scott's guys, I messaged him on Instagram for about four or five months. No longer than that. It was about a year, but I was consistent. Every couple months, I would message him, hey, man, you ever need a guy, I'm your guy. You ever need somebody, I'm there. And finally, once I moved out here, he hit me back up, gave me a shot. I did good enough to stay on the boat, worked on here for four or five years, and like I said, been running charters and doing my thing. Yeah. And yeah. We had some good times together, though, didn't we? We've had some. Like, I've had this wheelhouse we're sitting in right now. I've had some of the best laughs of my life in here. It is ridiculous. If only the walls could talk. I've made some best friends. (laughs) We'd be canceled. Some of the stories, yeah. (laughs) No. Take that out. That's a that's a pause. That's a pause. Pause. <laughs> no, we've had plenty, plenty of great moments here in this wheelhouse. Yeah, dude, I was so not salty. I was as fresh water as you could get coming into this boat, and it's just uh, I mean, I grew up like fishing like some trout and redfish, like inshore fishing, but not too much offshore stuff. So definitely coming on this boat was a good learning experience, and uh. All the guys, like, um, you know, Captain Bo, and then, like, Joe VT, Joe Von Theron. He's actually about to be, he's supposed to be crashing this podcast right now. Um, he, him, Johnny Rocket, all those guys, they taught me a lot. Because you came in right before Scott bought the princess out, right? Or did no, you already I have was, it? I was Bo's first year running the boat. Or no, Okay, so we already had the princess. Second year. Yeah, y'all already, we were one company, but like me and you didn't work together. We worked together maybe twice the whole first summer. I may even step foot on the majesty. Yeah. I was, uh, my soul was sold to the princess. I mean, there's definitely a majesty crew and a definitely a Mayport princess crew. We always took pride over there on, yeah. the, uh, on the princess. There's <laughs> definitely a competition for a while. Nah, I'm just excited for this, man. I think um, I think we're going to get a new, like, y'all are going to get a new outlook on kind of what the commercial fishing industry is and how hard these guys work. I've done a little bit of commercial fishing, not enough to, like, call myself a commercial fisherman, but you definitely. one or two seasons? I did, yeah, I, I did a couple, I did a, a good season of commercial fishing, and, like, just to tell you, like, I counted one time. The amount of times you touch one beeliner on a trip was like eight or nine times. Like people don't understand the amount of care and like work going into these fish, and it's a lot. And uh, y'all are gonna hear some cool stories about guys. And I mean, these guys fish in some tough seas, and they've seen shit that we we have not. So yeah, they're seeing be... shit that we're dreaming of. 
We ain't fucking dreaming of it. It's your nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) I've been out there in enough seat, like, uh, good enough to know that, like, anymore I would have been a little scared. You know what I mean? Right. Because it definitely gets serious out there. Like, uh, a lot of people lose their lives every year out there, and it's, you know, something you got to think about. I mean, just recently, if if you all want to touch on that, I mean, just recently, had someone in a commercial boat, three guys, three young kids. I think they were younger than us. Yep. Yeah. And uh, one of them, I think the captain was actually a commercial boat's captain's son. Yeah, the boy was here. fishy. We were Facebook friends, me and him. I've gone back and forth with him a couple times. He's like second, third generation commercial fisherman. Yeah. I mean, it's in his blood. He couldn't get away from it. That just goes to show, don't matter who you are, Mother Nature, I mean, she'll take who she wants. or And whatever she wants. It's a scary thing, man. I mean, they say it was one of the biggest searches to ever take place for a missing boat. Like, with yeah. the amount of miles covered and scanned. And the fucked up part about it was they looked from Brunswick where they went out, right? Brunswick? Yeah. All the way down. All the past, way to Maine. Yeah. All the way past Maine. And where they did not look south a few weeks ago, they ended up finding their fish box floating 18 miles 18 miles off St. Augustine. Yeah, off yeah. of St. Augustine, which is, you know, south, a good bit south of Brunswick. And then I just saw a post with this. We just had a really good blow and um, a good northeastern, and they just <laughs> – I'd like a really good blow right about now. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, it's, <laughs> we, take, we take them when we could get them. You know what I'm saying over here? But anyway, on a, a shitty subject we're talking about. <laughs> but uh, anyway, they found the lid of their fish box. Did you see that? Post? I didn't see that. They just found the lid of their fish box uh, south near, what, St. Augustine or somewhere near there again. Yeah. So it looks like uh, it sucks because there was a couple weeks of where they were looking. and uh, Did they go the wrong direction? They went the wrong direction. And I've talked to a couple people about what happened and um, there's a couple guys i think junior was out there i talked to junior around the he same wasn't out there. out there he wasn't out there but they had a buddy that was at the triple break which is a popular commercial spot off of georgia that um they were fishing that they were supposed to be heading to right so there was a reported sighting of the boat at the triple break a couple days after junior told me that was bullshit he said that was them he said they were oh, out there yeah. So uh, chances are that that picture was their boat. And what Junior told me is that there was a guy that, that they're buddies with that was fishing about the time that they were going. Um, Dalton and them boys, uh, what's the name of the boat? It was Ka- the Carol uh, Ann. Yeah. The Carol Ann was uh, going out. It was 15 foot, 10, 15 foot at the triple break. And they were going out and it was a west wind. And um, Junior's told me he's been on the same type of boat they are. It was only like a 34-foot yeah. boat. And he says that boat on a following sea absolutely surfs. And it is kind of sketchy. So what he thinks is they were out there probably about 20 miles before, and they went down on the way out. Because nobody heard from them a couple days into the trip. You know what I mean? There was no contact. And so what he thinks is they went down. Yeah, within probably. 20 miles and then you don't know they, they probably could have been blown south at that point makes a lot more sense because if they were up there at the break they would have been they blown north exactly and that's north. why they looked up there so right. um, reports are probably wrong and they should have looked mm-hmm. south but yeah it's a sad subject and it just makes guys it makes you think going out there for an extended amount of time like 
It can get real. real it could quick. be the last trip you ever make, and I feel so bad. It's like one of them boys was the first trip he's ever made offshore. Like Jesus, yeah. you've never been offshore, uh, or like you know for an extended period of time because that's different. Yeah, spend the night out there is a whole different ball game. Yeah, you're out there when you're out there five days. You know what I mean? It's different. I mean, just being out there at night is different. I mean, yeah, just sunsets. Yeah. And just even being out there at night. Is a different. few lights, maybe. Your world maybe. gets real small. Yeah, real if you're quick. lucky, you see a couple lights. Yeah. yeah. Your world is now in front of you. It's whatever size boat you're on. And then I'll tell you what, being out there five days, every single day you're out there, that boat fucking shrinks about five foot. <laughs> yeah. 40 yeah. foot boat could be about 20 foot. In the that trip. You feel yeah. tight. I mean, because you ain't getting very far away from the guys that you're with. So no. you better be, get comfortable real quick. Yeah. And, you know. Because yeah. you never know what you're going to wake up to. You don't. And it's scary. So, bless them. Like, and their families, I mean. It sucks. They're still looking, I mean. And that's the shitty part, and it's what I say. Like, me and Joe spent, I think we spent probably an hour just talking about this on the phone. Yeah. It's like, the shitty thing about dying offshore, God forbid they're dead, but, is there's no closure. You don't know how they died. You don't know what happened. You just know they didn't come back. Yeah. How many places left on Earth that that happens? No. Ocean is a scary place. Yeah more undiscovered than the universe right right just yeah yeah and we know that's where we make our, our living so <laughs> i do think that's one thing that's great about like, hey tell fishing. me who's, who's who's the space travelers us or them baby we're out there in that ocean every day we're out there in that undiscovered <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> we're pretty marked up here in northeast florida but <laughs> <gonna> say, <laughs> yeah, uh, you'll see more chips as otherwise yeah right yeah. that's funny yeah see more the damn game changer yeah I love that thing. But this is just something, you know, I mean, it's it's in the back of every fisherman's mind every time you go out, especially offshore. You got to have, everyone's got to be on the same page about safety to a certain degree. I mean, yeah, because you don't want, you don't want to be unprepared when shit goes to the wall. Nope. No, I mean, we all hear stories and it's like, we all know people out here. Like we, we know numerous people that boats have sank, they've been sinking, Captain George, who used to own both these boats, he, they had a commercial boat that went down, and it was him and his friend floating for days, and his friend got crazy, swam away, and ended up dying, and George held on, you know, for dear life to a cooler and ended up getting found. But, like, there's things like that. Like, yeah. that's the thing. Like, not many people know stories like that. And these are guys that are just walking down the dock every day that have stories like this. And that's what we're going to bring you all in this podcast. And that's what we're looking forward to showing you. Yeah. Episode one. Yeah. From the wheelhouse. From the wheelhouse, baby.